0: Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer over here, and I love all things tech. And it is a Friday. That means it is time for a Tech Stuff classic episode. This episode originally aired on November 7th, 2011. It is The Story of Rim. Or Research in Motion, that would be the company that makes BlackBerry. Where did they come from and what happened with that company up to 2011 at any rate? Sit back, relax, and enjoy this classic episode, The Story of RIM. He could play a guitar just like he was ringing a bell.
1: Nice of you to be good.
0: Yeah, so you gotta, you gotta make a leap on that one. It's not just the song. Who, who made that song famous? And what was that guy's <laughs> name? And, ah, uh. now it makes sense. We're gonna talk about the story of Rem. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, and, uh, you know, I think RIM is a less famous name than the name of its flagship product. Yes. But we are talking about Research in Motion, which is a Canadian company. Yep. Uh, several people have written in to ask us if we could talk about it.
0: Yeah, lots of lots of people were interested in this. And we've referred to RIM quite a few times in other podcasts because uh, the flagship product that Chris was alluding to is the BlackBerry, uh, which is one of the smartphones that really kind of uh Well, really, the BlackBerry was the smartphone for the longest time. Mm-hmm, I mean, the mm-hmm. BlackBerry line was pretty much the smartphone that everyone was familiar with and very few people outside of uh, the corporate world owned. But, uh you know, RIM became famous because they had the, – the company had this line of smartphones and they had kind of a – almost a lock on the smartphone market. I mean, really the only major competitor in the United States anyway. In other parts of the world, it was different. But in the United States, the other major competitor was Palm. Yes. So you had like the Palm Trio, and then you had the BlackBerry, and you had people who were fanatically devoted to either. Although BlackBerry, again, still had more of a corporate kind of culture to it because they, uh, Rem had incorporated the Microsoft Exchange server software in... The BlackBerry uh, form factor very early on, so it was very useful for anyone who worked for a company that used Microsoft Exchange servers,
1: and that's quite a few of them, of
0: yeah. course. Lots of people are using, lots of companies are using Outlook essentially as their main mail uh, feature. The, you know, there are other companies that use different servers for email, but uh the Microsoft Exchange server is incredibly popular but before we get into all of that we kind of need to go and talk about the founding of this company mm-hmm. which goes all the way back to 1984
1: yeah yeah now of course uh actually in, in in a way it goes back a little farther than that yeah um you know and you'd have to look to the uh the University of Waterloo yeah in Ontario Canada and uh basically uh there was a student there named yeah. Mike Lazaridis. Yes. And, uh, you know, he was, he was into uh, electrical engineering. He was into computer science. And uh, he had been working with a company that uh, maybe we should talk about in the future. I don't know. Uh, control Data, mm-hmm. um, long known as a, uh, one of the computer pioneers. Um, and he had been working with that, that company when he was in college. Um, but basically, he was working on a way to, uh, on, on a project called Budgie. Mm-hmm. And no, I'm not talking about, uh, the percussionist for Susie and the Banshees.
0: Yeah. I was thinking of a bird.
1: Oh, or, or that either. <laughs> uh, it actually was a, a way to display information on TVs. Um, and, uh, he, he, like many of the people we have talked about when we've talked about the tech pioneers, came up with this idea, uh, even before he, uh, finished school. And, yeah, in fact, uh, he,
0: he dropped out of the University of Waterloo before before finishing school. Yep, which makes him very similar to other <laughs> pioneers that we've talked about.
1: Yes, and so um, and so he basically decided to uh, to give it a go and yep. and leave school, and uh, came up with a, a company named Paradigm Research. Except that name was already taken, um, and they were try- He tried several different names. Uh, ended up with. Uh, inspired by the, the phrase poetry in motion decided to go with research in motion and the company was, as Jonathan pointed out, officially, uh, became incorporated officially on March 7th, 1984.
0: Yeah, he received a, uh, a, essentially a, a loan from the Canadian government to help this, and he also had money uh, invested by family and friends. Uh, he and a, a fellow student, a fellow by the name of Douglas Frieden, uh founded this company together. Um, Fregan became the vice president of operations, uh, Lazaridis became the president and CEO. Um, and, uh, and interestingly enough, uh, we're back just to jump ahead just very quickly. Uh, Lazaridis is still a CEO of Rem. It's Rem's got an interesting corporate structure in that it has two CEOs, and we'll get into more about that in a few um, a few minutes when we jump ahead uh, in in Rem's history. Now. After the founding, what's the next piece of information you have? Because I jump ahead quite a few
1: years. Well, four years. Well, uh, the thing is, um, the budgie didn't take off at all. Um, But General Motors uh, needed some uh, LED notification systems for their assembly lines. And uh, you know, as you might guess, General Motors, um, especially back in the 1980s, would have been a huge corporate client. Yeah. Um, and that was a success. Uh, the CDS 100 system.
0: And this was General Motors of
1: Canada. Yeah. So it was the, Cana- the
0: Canadian branch of General Motors. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. There are quite a few plants up there. Yes. Or, or were at that point. They've closed a, a couple, I think. Yeah. Um, someone will write in and tell me that it's a lot of them. I'm sure. But yeah. Um, and uh, the National Film Board. Of Canada, did you know about this? Mm. Uh, they needed a system for uh, synchronizing film editing, and uh, RIM built a system for them, and it actually won an Academy Award. Is this the DigiSync? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, the DigiSync film Key Code reader. Uh,
0: that was actually that took a few years to in, to be introduced. That wasn't didn't really hit the market till 1990. But yeah, um, RIM won both an Oscar and an Emmy. For this technology.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Uh, and here's the interesting thing. You start hearing this. We're, we, you know, here we are talking about uh, film key code readers and, and, and displays and industrial automation. And you're thinking, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like a smartphone at all. Well, you're right. Uh, the early days of REM were not focused specifically on bringing uh, telecommunications devices to market. That, you know, It was more of a kind of a general purpose research technology firm Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm.
0: and so you know these early days that that kind of i don't know you might want to call it a lack of focus or you may just call it that they were being very versatile uh they were
1: diversified yes
0: diversified good yes they were taking a, a proactive stance um yeah it was interesting that they weren't really focused on telecommunications now now in 1988 so, you know, 90 they've, they've introduced the key code reader, but just a couple years earlier in 88, uh, REM became the first wireless data technology developer in North America and the first company outside of Scandinavia to create uh, connectivity products for the Mobitex, uh, network, wireless network. Now, this was a a wireless network they use radio frequencies uh, used the packet data switching method, which we've talked about before in this podcast you know mm-hmm. the way that you send data through packets uh, but in instead of it just being through a wire where you know you would send this through a, a, a pulses of electricity, this would be through radio frequencies and um, so Mobitex is that was a data only actually is a data only wireless. Uh, Packet switching network, so it wasn't designed to carry voice communication. It was just data communication, and the earliest uh, products that that Rim focused on weren't consumer products. They were all uh, retail products, con- uh, enterprise products. It was stuff for point of point of sales terminals mm-hmm. uh, to uh, allow point of sales terminals to send information wirelessly to some other. Machine, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so again, not not like something that you would immediately say, "Wow, that's that's really awesome! I can't wait to get my hands on it because it just wasn't meant for the general consumer."
1: Yeah, well, of course the uh, the business to business market is uh, can be very very uh, lucrative. Yes, um, and at that point, you know, we're talking about the late 1980s, early 1990s. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everyone had a cell phone. I mean, they were they you know these mobile products, and a lot of people had pagers, yeah, uh, in the early '90s. And um, of course, in in the early '90s, that's that's sort of what uh, Rim got into. They started looking at the possibilities of two way wireless communications.
0: Yeah, that was one of the things they started to really research once they got involved in the Mobitex uh, network. Now, in in nineteen uh, well, so in 1991, they introduced the Mobitex protocol converter which was the device that allowed them to create these products that would allow them to 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 tag on a converter box onto a an existing point of sales terminal. Yeah. So it's kind of like an adapter that you could plug into your system and use the equipment you already have. Um, to have this wireless connectivity, uh, again, just an enterprise sort of thing, a retail sort of thing, not a not a consumer thing.
1: Yeah, point of sale is is like at the cash register itself. Yes, where you're actually uh, going to buy something.
0: And then in 1992, another person joins Rim, and this is someone who will become uh, very important. It's uh, Jim Basili, Basili.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and
0: so. Y- in, at this point, the the CEO role is divided in twain. Uh, Lazaridis is in charge of things like product development and research, and Basili was sort of the, um, the 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 financial guy and the business development guy, mm-hmm. because uh, those two parts of the CEO role, you know, just didn't didn't really they, Lazaridis wasn't comfortable filling both of those parts of the role. He didn't think that he had the financial uh, acumen to be able to do this uh, effectively. He thought that there'd be a better way of, of leading this company. And so that was Basile's role when he came on. And the two are still co-CEOs. Mm-hmm. And that has actually led to some criticism of RIM um, throughout its history. But really, that criticism has wrapped up quite a bit in 2011. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll talk about that when we get a little
1: further in. Yes, uh, Mr. Basili actually put uh, a quarter of a million dollars of his own money uh, into RIM at that point. So that was a a pretty substantial investment. Wouldn't Uh, be the first
0: time he would have to pay, (laughs) (laughs) but we'll get into that too. Okay, and, uh, right. that that that's a, a there was Rim's also had a history of some pretty nasty legal battles. Yep, uh, but that's that's in the late nineties so yep. and
1: and further on. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, a couple of the timelines that I looked at uh, were almost all uh, about the legal battles.
0: Yeah, no, there's a there's a stretch in the two thousand era where that's you know th- there was no focus on the actual products, uh, at least in the research I looked at as well. So in uh, in 94 we've got uh, rim offering its own point of sales terminal mm-hmm. so now now the technology has been incorporated directly into uh into terminals so that people can companies can buy them directly from rim and they don't have to try and incorporate one technology with another mm-hmm. uh and then in 95 uh, rim introduces the freedom which is a PCMCIA radio modem for computers. Uh, PCMCIA stands for Personal Computer Memory Card International Association. It has several different types of cards, some of which are used to add memory to a computer, but the Type Two PCMCIA card is meant as a modem card.
1: Right. So it's basically a a, um, uh, a card that you plug into the insides of your computer. Yeah. Um, Mainly laptops. Actually, a lot of laptops had expansion ports that
0: you could you could plug a card into that one expansion port, and it would allow you to do whatever you know, increase the memory. and In this right. case, what it was doing is it was giving you a radio modem so that you could have wireless connectivity with your laptop, which was a you know that was a, a pretty new thing in ninety five. I mean, oh yes, there, mm-hmm. there weren't a whole lot of solutions out there, and so Rim was kind of getting into that. And in ninety six. RIM introduced the interactive pager, mm-hmm. which is probably the most uh, one of the most irritatingly spelled products of all time.
1: Why? Because it has an at sign for yeah, the A in yeah, the middle
0: of the word at instead of A. So that that irritates me.
1: Well, it um, it was sort of a revolutionary product for yeah. its time, though, because uh, most pagers. Uh, you know, we're we're one way.
0: Yeah, it meant that if you had a pager, you could receive messages on it, and that's all you could do. You could you could read through all those messages, but if someone sent you a page, you know, you would look down, and you'd see, oh, I've got a message from so and so. You'd put the pager down, you pick up a phone, you call that person, and mm-hmm. you know, have a discussion. And REM, because of its research in two way communication on the Mobitex network, had come up with a way of creating a two way messaging service. Mm-hmm. And the interactive pager would let you do this. You would have a; it had a QWERTY keyboard, mm-hmm. and it had a little bitty screen that could show up to four lines of text. And you could get a message from someone, and you could send a message back. So essentially, your text messaging—that's mm-hmm. that's what this technology allowed you to do, which was new. This was not something that was generally seen around this time. So suddenly, you could get a pager that would allow you to do more communication, where you wouldn't necessarily have to go and find a phone or. Or uh, carry you know a cell phone along with the pager. You could actually communicate with people, assuming that they had a device that you know a pager that they could use to uh, read the message you're sending them. Otherwise, it's still a one way. Um, and it. Do you know how much it costs?
1: No, actually, I don't know that.
0: Okay, so it's a two way pager. It also had all the functions of a one way pager, so it's not like it's you know limited to that. But a two way pager, text only, four lines of text per screen. Six hundred seventy-five dollars, mm-hmm. and that's not including the service fee. That's that's the price of the product itself. So if you think about that, a six hundred and seventy-five dollar two-way pager. That's you know that's that's a chunk of change, mm-hmm. especially when you can go out and buy a fully featured smartphone without a contract for around that same amount. I mean, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> it's a well, different world we live in now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and from I've never actually seen one of these in person. I've seen photos online, but uh, from what I've read, it was also a very large device. Yeah, no, uh, compared to especially compared to today's uh, technology. Yeah, it was
0: was sometimes called the Rim Nine Hundred because that's how many pounds it weighed. (laughs) No, no, it was, but but it had a flip top. You know, you would you would lift the the lid up, and that had the screen on it, and then you had the full QWERTY keyboard beneath. Mm -hmm. When you folded it down, it was like a brick. And uh, yeah, it was, it was big, um, and it, but it, it kind of paved the way for RIM's future. Chris Paulette and I have a lot more to say about RIM, but let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. So in '97, this mm-hmm. is the year after they've introduced the interactive pager. Rim becomes a publicly traded company on the Toronto Stock Exchange.
1: Right, that helped them raise quite a bit of money—about uh, well, more than $115 million. Yeah, um, which, when you're a, a company that's that's getting its foothold, that that's a lot of money.
0: Yeah, that's that's a ton. Yeah, yeah, and so Rim joins uh, other Toronto Stock Exchange staples like Poutine. And then in 98... Oh, uh, man. What? Canadians are too nice to be mean to me. (laughs) I love poutine. In uh, 98, RIM introduces the 950 wireless handheld device. Mm -hmm. Now, this one is a much smaller two-way pager. This is the one that a lot of people remember when they think back to the old RIM pagers. This is is the form factor that was really familiar to them. Um, And it also introduced... Uh, they, they licensed a technology from Puma Technology, mm-hmm. uh, the IntelliSync synchronization platform, which actually allowed for syncing uh, with the device. And before that, it didn't have that capability. So now this uh, two-way pager has syncing capabilities, so you can sync it with another device. And it also could run applications written in C language. mm mm-hmm. um, Oh, and I guess uh, we can take just a brief moment and and acknowledge the fact that the week we're recording this is sadly the same week we learned of the passing of the man who wrote the C programming language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. That's true. Yeah. So, uh, so rest in peace, Mister Ritchie. Uh, so the 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 REM nine hundred and fifty wireless handheld can run C uh, language programs. I actually read about a guy who used to have a. Um, uh, version of Super Mario on this little pager. Really? Yeah. He had Mm a C programming language version of Super Mario that he would play on this pager. I can't imagine that would be terribly satisfying, but it was interesting. Well, yeah, I'd imagine so. Um, And so this one, again, was smaller than the 900 that we talked about a little bit ago. Mm -hmm, And it mm -hmm. still had the QWERTY keyboard and the little screen.
1: Right. Um, Yeah, at this point, uh, RIM has become one of canada's fastest growing tech companies yep um, you know and it's actually it's it's funny because um from what I understand, the campus is right there at the University of Waterloo, mm-hmm. right next door, essentially um siphoning off engineering students as fast as possible probably um, but uh, some people have started calling this part of uh you know the Kitchener Waterloo area as uh, Silicon Valley North nice um, I don't know that there's much of a valley, but mm-hmm. you know. I guess it's just the, the slang for the, for yeah, the term. Yeah. But uh, yeah, in 99 is when uh, they, RIM became listed on the NASDAQ stock exchange, yep. which helped the uh, the company get another $250 million. Um, and this is the point at which uh, the devices, the, the little buttons on the outside of the devices are beginning to remind some people of of seeds on the outside of fruit,
0: mm.
1: which is how apparently... The BlackBerry got its name.
0: Although when BlackBerry was first announced, it was just a wireless email solution. It wasn't specifically uh, attributed to a particular product. Mm -hmm. So in other words, you didn't call your phone a BlackBerry at this point yet. Uh, The BlackBerry referred to the technology that allowed to access email. And this is where Uh, BlackBerry introduces the enterprise server software for Microsoft Exchange. So now we've got the devices that will allow you to access your corporate email Mm -hmm. or your Microsoft Exchange email. If it's not necessarily corporate, it's just that was the the most uh, common. Um, But it would allow you to check email on devices. It still didn't have a phone. Mm -hmm. So this is more like a personal digital assistant. But they introduced the uh, RIM 850 wireless handheld and it, uh, which looked a lot like the 950, except now the 850 runs on the DataTAC wireless network. The 950 is on the Mobitex wireless network. So these are two different wireless technologies, and that might sound strange to you, except that we still see that kind of stuff today. I mean, we see it in multiple uh, areas because we've got... CDMA versus GSM; mm-hmm. those are two different wireless technologies. You've got things like WiMAX and LTE; those are two different wireless technologies. So, uh, in other words, BlackBerry was trying to broaden its market by uh, creating devices that could work on other uh, wireless networks, so that they could reach more consumers. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And uh, the 850 is, um, as as far as I can tell, the 850 is the device that really started the ball rolling. In a way, I mean, just it's the it's the device that got uh, people to really sit up and take notice, and people wanted to buy it. Um, Right? You know, this is this is an era when a lot not everyone still not everyone had personal email, but corporate email. Well, that was very useful, and Mm -hmm. and people it was really starting to to take off, and it was it's important now. All of a sudden, you're able to uh, keep up with things that are going on in the office. Um, Conveniently, while you are out and about, uh, while you're at lunch, um, while you're at home.
0: You don't have to find a computer to log in anymore. You can just check it.
1: And it's easy to do. Yeah. So easy, in fact, that people kind of want to do it. Yeah. Which is why you couldn't get people to leave them alone. Yeah, it's, it's also why we call them crackberries. Uh, Now, after the addictive drug, yes, in
0: two thousand, the Rem introduced the eight fifty seven and the nine fifty seven wireless handheld devices. This is the these are the ones that really look like PDAs. Mm -hmm. You know, they had the monochrome screen. uh, They had a larger, so the screen's larger. the The QWERTY keyboard is spread out. These are the devices that look a little more square ish or even rectangular, where uh, you've got a lot more real estate for the screens. And in uh, in two thousand one. Uh, that's where we start getting into some legal issues. So, 2001, a group of investors file a lawsuit in a U.S. federal court, and they uh, they accuse Rim of using, of infringing on patents held by a patent company called NTP. Hmm. Now, you may have heard A
1: of patent our patent
0: company. Yeah, have you heard of our our patent wars podcast, we talked about there were there are companies out there that really what they do is they they acquire patents and then they either license those patents out to other companies that want to use the technology or they sit on the patents and wait for someone to infringe on them and then sue the, the Dickens out of them.
1: Yeah, that's the problem with getting people to sit up and take notice of you. That also means that people sit up and take notice of you. Yeah, NTP noticed. Yep. Um, also in 2000, just as a note, the uh, the company raised another 950 million dollars uh, by offering good. more shares of stock. They were well, going to need, need it. it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean at this point, Rim is a well-established company. Yep. Uh, 2000, which is uh, what 16 years or so after its uh, founding, incorporate well yeah. formal uh, incorporation. Incorporation. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, at this point, they're they're a well known tech company. They're they're really making a mark in the world, and NTP sits up and goes, "Aha,
0: we got you." Yeah. So, two thousand
1: two is
0: a huge year for for RIM, mm-hmm. um, and they released the BlackBerry five eight one zero, which is the first handheld device that actually is called a BlackBerry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other ones had the BlackBerry technology in them, but you didn't necessarily call it a BlackBerry, although a lot of people used it as as kind of the short-form version of the name.
1: Like uh, when you talk about a Windows-based computer and you call it a PC? A PC, PC,
0: yeah. So the BlackBerry 5810, the first uh, uh, true BlackBerry, it was also a smartphone, although it required a separate headset to use as a phone, and it worked on the GSM network, had a monochrome screen, and then later that year, rem released the 6710 and 6720 phones which had integrated phones directly into the the handset itself so you didn't have to have a separate headset to use the phone uh they also released the 6510 so this is the other thing about blackberry they have really catchy names for their devices the 6510 was a nextel device so it not only had the uh the the BlackBerry email service and all of that fun stuff. It also had a walkie-talkie feature. Over. Breaker, breaker. Uh, and then later on, they in, in, introduced another one of the Nextels. Uh, it was a, actually a couple years later, but they introduced a Nextel phone that ha- was the first BlackBerry to hold have a GPS receiver in it. Mm-hmm. Um, they introduced the first CDMA BlackBerry, which was the 6750, You're never going to keep all these straight. We should write a quiz for this, and all they are are the The numbers. numbers. That would just be evil. All right, so then um, they also introduced a mobile data service, which was an environment for apps that could access corporate data. Now, RIM's never really gotten wholeheartedly into the whole apps game. Uh, A little bit, but not like... Other companies like Apple and Google. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, that that kind of plays into why they are in the situation they're in right now. Um, they also introduced what would later become known as the BlackBerry Internet Service, which was what allowed people to access email clients that were web-based, as opposed to the Microsoft Exchange stuff. So they could suddenly, in, they can now access not just their corporate email, but if they had a web-based personal email address, they could uh, access that as well. And in 2002, a jury finds in favor of NTP in their their lawsuit about patent infringement and orders REM to pay $23.1 million. And boy, does that get more complicated.
1: Yeah, just a a few months later, that was in November. and In in August of 2003, a judge said that uh, the BlackBerry could not be sold in the United States. Yeah. Um, But... RIM appealed that decision, and uh, the ruling they, was stayed. Yeah, so yeah. basically they were allowed to pending the result of the appeal. Yeah,
0: and this was important for RIM because that same year they were uh, the company started releasing devices that were aimed more for, well, they we call them prosumers, right? Prosumer. It's kind of the early adopters. We've talked about them before in the podcast, but they're not not your average consumer because the BlackBerry was you know it's kind of a luxury product for anyone who. Is just interested in a smartphone and is not going to get you know reimbursed by their company, uh, but yeah, this was aimed at professionals who uh, were interested in smartphones, but they weren't directly tied to whatever it is they did for a living. So they wanted it as a personal device. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course, Rems very much interested in keeping their their products up and running, especially in the United States, because that's where one of the big markets. It, that's that's the location of a large market. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you've got other markets for smartphones, but a lot of those are already tied up by phones coming out of Japan. So, uh, going to 2004, uh, here's something interesting. So, By now, they're starting to release... uh, In 2003, they also started releasing um, Blackberries that had color screens. Mm -hmm. Because up to that point, they were all monochrome. But in 2004, they... (laughs) RIM releases the BlackBerry 5790, which has a monochrome display and no phone. And why would they do that? Because people on the Mobitex network really wanted to have all these cool features, and they didn't have a device that would run on Mobitex network. So the 5790 was the first... Uh, Blackberry device to run on Mobitex, uh, but it couldn't have a phone because it was data only, and they didn't have a VoIP solution. So uh, there, there you go. Monochrome display. It was like it was like a device that looked like it came out two years previously. Mm-hmm. You know, compared to the stuff that had come out in 2003.
1: Well, uh, 2004 was important for another reason too. Mm-hmm. That was when uh, when BlackBerry had more than one million subscribers yep. around the world. Um, and in 2004, late uh, that uh, an appeals court had decided that most of the claims that uh, that NTP had brought were were still valid. Yeah. Um, and bad uh, news for REM. But they also asked uh, the court asked the, the lower court um, that had made the decision to look at the case again. So yeah. they had to reopen that.
0: And they said that the the original ruling had some problems with it. That that. The the actual allegation still held true, but the ruling itself had problems, so it needed to go back into uh, the court system. Mm-hmm. So then, the, get to two thousand and five. Now, REM has over five million subscribers, which is enormous growth.
1: Yeah, and it's the point at which the Rim is getting to the point where I think they're getting a little weary of this lawsuit thing. Yeah, so they get so they agreed to a settlement.
0: Yeah, a crazy settlement because remember it was originally they were going to have to pay twenty three point one million dollars. Yeah, now it's
1: four hundred and fifty million dollars to settle the lawsuit.
0: Yeah, but NTP does not seem to um, happy to just take that. They now NTP is thinking, hey. We got a real shot of
1: of we, we smell blood.
0: Yeah, we can we can really, really uh, uh uh twist the knife here. And so a judge gets kind of fed up with what's going on with the the failure to create a deal. And uh the case is sent back to federal court. And uh and so you've got the case going back to federal court, uh the REM appeals to the US Supreme Court. The Supreme Court says no, this needs to go back to federal court. Um uh, judge refuses to force NTP to actually agree to the four hundred fifty million dollar settlement. So now NTP has a real chance of getting even
1: more, right? Right. As a matter of fact, in December of two thousand five, they said that they would be willing to uh, settle as long as they got a five <clears throat> excuse me a five point seven percent royalty for the life of the patents.
0: Yeah. So now that
1: that would be lucrative.
0: Yeah. This is like an an actor. Uh, landing a deal to get part of the merchandising rights for uh, anything that comes out of the movie that actor's in. You know, that's where the real money is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ticket sales are one thing, but you're going to really make it up with those T-shirts and action figures. (laughs) I'm just appealing to my geek friends now. But um also that same year 2005 just to get a little bit of positive news out there, RIM uh, introduced the BlackBerry 8700 which had the first true color screen and also in- introduced themes to the BlackBerry uh, handset. So now that that became like the flagship product for for that year.
1: Yeah, if you've been using a a BlackBerry for a long time, you might remember the uh, the brouhaha that had come up where it, they were saying in the news that it was possible that BlackBerry would have to stop offering service in the United States. That's what we're talking about right now because right. at this point, uh, uh NTP is basically saying, "Hey, look, uh, we'll, we'll allow thirty days before cut off, and and government users don't necessarily have to have their service cut off." Right?
0: But, because BlackBerry uh, we can't
1: settle. They're going to have to stop.
0: Yeah. Blackberries became really, really important for uh, government officials, for military, and for first responders mm-hmm. because it provided a fast and secure way to communicate. So, uh, you know, the, it could have had catastrophic results if all service had been cut off. You, can you imagine? I mean, you could fire departments not being able to communicate. Uh, as as easily as they had been, uh, it'd be a, a massive blow. And there's some things that you know you just gotta say. Okay, well, look, we're gonna allow these services to continue, even if we can't come to an agreement, because otherwise it would be catastrophic. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> at the same time, Basili was saying that uh, they that the company was looking at ways to create alternatives to uh, the technology that was in question yeah, so that they could continue offering service even if the, the, uh, the questionable technology was shut down. right? So this is kind of a workaround they're looking at. Hey, guys, we're going to get right back to the story of REM, but I got to answer this message on my BlackBerry phone that I'm imaginarily pointing at. So let's take a quick break and thank our sponsor. Now, we then get into a point where RIM agrees to pay NTP a settlement of six hundred and twelve and a half million dollars. And
1: that's the settlement. And for a, quote, perpetual paid up license going forward, end quote.
0: Yeah. And uh, it's pretty huge here. Uh, But, um, you know, we're still at this point the the, this has not actually been settled. And uh, it's it's really getting ugly and and people who are like uh, the stakeholders in the company are nervous because you don't know if the service is going to be cut off or not so rim is actually really suffering at this point
1: mm-hmm.
0: well they've uh, they continue this uh this court case which at this point was actually more interesting to <laughs> to uh the technology world than the actual products that blackberry's putting out um, it also was starting to drive uh, business over to Palm. Mm-hmm. You know, as people were saying, I don't know if this BlackBerry is going to be working in six months. I need to go get a device that I know I can depend on. And so, uh, Trio sales actually really took off at this point. Um, but eventually, the uh, the the whole mess with NTP gets settled, mm-hmm. and and uh, uh, as a result, the shares actually get a boost. And, uh, and things start to look better for REM. Although in 2007, RIM had to pay $250 million to, uh, uh, to the United States because of some problems with their stock options. Uh, they were issuing stock options at less than fair market value to some of their executives. And so uh, Lazaridis and, and Basili had to pay around $5 million apiece to cover the cost of the accounting review that was uh, – Ordered by the United States government, and um, lots of lots of executives had to pay back some some money because Mm -hmm. the stock options they've been granted were granted at the wrong price.
1: Right, right.
0: So again, uh, kind of a black mark
1: on Rim. Well, at this point, now that the lawsuit is is settled. Uh, they're able to focus on on business again in a more uh, unified way. Yeah, they're not; their attention is not divided anymore. Um, in late 2007, uh, there were more than 10 million BlackBerry subscribers. Yep. Um, now all- you'll,
0: you'll remember in 2007, uh, two other products were announced that would eventually cause great problems for RIM. Though that would be the iPhone mm-hmm. and the Google Android operating system.
1: Yep um but in the mean but uh, keeping in mind that BlackBerry is still established as the uh business the 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 uh corporate um solution yeah. for messaging and mm-hmm. for uh for for you know smartphones uh you know the Trio was was still pretty far behind um and it was also still very much a an enterprise product it wasn't a consumer thing um Alcatel-Lucent uh, had a, an agreement to distribute Blackberries in China, which you know is a huge market. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as a matter of fact, that that the stock uh, boost from that actually made Rim the most valuable company in Canada based on uh, market capitalization. Um, then in 2007, again uh, they un- uh, released the BlackBerry Professional software. Um which allowed companies with their own email server um in house to uh to transmit to Blackberries, um enabling people who work in IT for many companies to get messages at two in the morning going, the server's down. Yeah. Um
0: yeah, it, it thrilled them to no end, I am sure. I, I've
1: been around people for whom that is a uh oh. I gotta go. <laughs> um and uh they actually had their first uh, Blackberry store in Farmington Hills, Michigan. Um, along with uh, the uh, cell phone company Wireless Giant. Um, so that that was sort of a unique thing for the time, too. Mm-hmm. Um, they added more subscribers again, 1.65 million by the end, the very end of 2007, pushing them up to 12 million. Um, and uh, RIM started its own copyright, or um, not copyright, its own uh, patent case the year after, uh, telling, saying that uh, Motorola had infringed on some of its patents, mm-hmm. um, so uh, you know Motorola sued them back, of course, as is typically the case in these situations, saying that uh, some of the uh, there are U.S. patents uh, that they owned that uh, BlackBerry was infringing on, and then they started not naming their stuff with uh, boring old names. This is when the uh, you could tell that the influence of the consumer smartphone was having an effect on BlackBerry when they came out with the Bold in 2008.
0: Yeah, I remember the Bold, the Curve, the Pearl. Mm -hmm. um, All of these devices were aimed at various slices of the consumer market with an attempt to try and gain traction there. Uh, Although BlackBerry got a lot of criticism from technology journalists and analysts saying that while they were redesigning the hardware and trying to make that more... uh, uh, more attractive to the average consumer, they hadn't done a lot of work with the operating system. Mm -hmm. And the operating system had remained pretty much the same over the last several years, and that as a result it was starting to look stale, particularly against things like the iPhone or Google Android. And another part is, again, I mentioned earlier, BlackBerry just didn't support apps to the same extent as Android or the iPhone. And you think, you know, apps really extend the functionality of these devices. Mm -hmm. You know, you you can suddenly do all these amazing things on the device. Sometimes it's games, sometimes it's a a service that will let you um, uh, navigate the world more easily or to navigate shopping more easily. Mm -hmm. BlackBerry didn't really have that to the extent that iPhone and Google did. And as a result, if you're a consumer... You know, you're not just looking at well, most consumers. I guess are not just looking at the form factor, although that definitely plays a role in your choice. But just why can you do with it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And really, BlackBerry was falling behind, and so um, some people said that might have been what led BlackBerry to introduce the PlayBook, mm-hmm. which was BlackBerry's uh, or Rim's tablet yes. uh, device, mm-hmm. seven-inch tablet and uh it was a very snazzy tablet uh, the operating system was very smooth it was not the standard blackberry operating system they had gone to another company to uh, outsource that mm-hmm. and uh it, and it would support apps uh the interesting some interesting things about the the playbook and we've done a whole podcast about the playbook so you can listen to that as well but uh some of the interesting points about it are that you could not access contacts and email and then that sort of information with the playbook on its own. Mm-hmm. You had to pair it with a BlackBerry smartphone. And the idea here was that if someone were to get hold of your tablet, they wouldn't be able to access your corporate information because it was not stored on the device itself. It could only be accessed when paired with a smartphone.
1: Yeah, of course, uh, in a lot of enterprise uh, situations, there's a lot of proprietary data that needs to be protected. Uh, business plans, and um, you know, Apple is. <laughs> we've talked about how secret Apple is. They're far from the only uh, company in all forms of business that wants to keep its trade secrets private. Yeah, um, that's that's one of the big reasons why uh, IT professionals are still very big on BlackBerry. Is that they they have very strong security. Yeah. Uh, versus uh, people, that was one of the big arguments. They said, well, why don't why don't more people switch to the iPhone? If people like the iPhone, and they said, "Well, the iPhone is not uh as capable, keeping in mind this is you know some time ago, and things have have changed somewhat, but you know that was the big argument right away was uh well, you know the iPhone may be nice, but it doesn't have the same kind of security that a blackberry does. a lot of the the transmissions on a Blackberry are encrypted,
0: yeah, and they're passing through blackberry's servers
1: yes, um which, which is by the way
0: are are most of which are located in Canada, which that was part of the problem when uh uh, when Barack Obama wanted to see if he could keep his BlackBerry once he became president of the United States, mm-hmm. that was one of the, the issues that was brought up, was the fact that this this data would be passing through servers in another country. Mm-hmm. And we all know that Canada is poised to strike at the United States at a moment's notice, oh. so they wanted to be sure that the president's information would remain private and and untouched by anyone in Canada who had designs on the presidency of the United States of America.
1: <laughs> well, it I is. I might be
0: exaggerating a little, but th- there, was, there was an issue.
1: Well, and, th- and the thing is, too, that it was passing out of uh, the government's hands and into the hands of a private company, yes, too, as well. Yes, that's, an, uh, that's
0: another issue. Even if, even if REM were located in, in the United States, there would be some serious questions <laughs> about that kind of thing.
1: But the, uh, the BlackBerry remains a company to which many people are extremely loyal, um, they have made uh, good products with a, a good reputation for many years. And the, uh, the enterprise security layer is also something that, that gives people in business uh, a lot of confidence in the product. Unfortunately, um, at the time we are recording this, BlackBerry has been fending off a, uh, a, a PR um, onslaught that they've had to deal with because the the servers and uh, apparently there was a machine that went down in the United Kingdom.
0: Yeah, one of their core switches. Now, a core switch is a device that helps route traffic. It, it takes incoming traffic and sends it to the next major hop uh, along the line. But if you're talking about a core switch, that's something that's located on the backbone of a system. So that's a major, major
1: point of failure. And like many companies, RIM has uh, entrusted its uh, equipment to a redundant backup system, also in this case, which failed. Yeah. Um, So the company throttled its network traffic all around the world. And so for the past few days before the day we were recording this, um, in in mid-October of uh, 2011, BlackBerry has been suffering from people being very upset about it. Uh, The traffic Disruptions, yeah. and um, as a result, a lot of people have been questioning whether, as BlackBerry has been behind uh, the Android and iOS operating systems for the past couple of years in terms of subscriber growth, yeah. whether BlackBerry will continue uh, as a viable option for for enterprises because uh, both Apple and Google see opportunities in the enterprise market.
0: Yeah, this was this was particularly bad timing for this to happen for to Rim because you've got. Uh, you've got them in a precarious position. Their their sales have have uh, had some problems over the last few quarters. They've had revenue uh, problems over the last few quarters. The the company looked like a company that's in trouble, and people were pointing at the operating system looking out of date. Although um, Black Rem is supposed to to introduce a new operating system any day now, um, but for this to happen right after the iPhone 4S announcement. So you've got a new iPhone on the market and the upcoming uh, Google Android ice cream sandwich announcement. So Mm -hmm. you're going to have a new version of the Android operating system.
1: Plus the release of iOS 5.
0: The, The release of iOS 5, the release of a new Samsung Android phone that's supposed to be really uh, uh, advanced. Mm-hmm. These are all bad things for to, to you know. It's all happening around the same time, and for Rim to suffer a catastrophic failure like this, when everybody else is re- releasing positive news, th- it's it's tough yeah. and um, it can be difficult. And to be fair, you know, uh, it wasn't that information necessarily got lost during this process. Most of it was just delayed, delayed by hours. Mm-hmm. Like there'd be a three-hour delay from when someone would send something and when you might receive it. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, is bad if it's an urgent matter. But, uh, anyway, so they're dealing with that right now. They're also dealing with other issues. Like, there are governments around the world that want to be able to access the information that's sent across the BlackBerry, um, network. Mm -hmm. And so that raises ethical questions. Like, do you, do you agree to do that? Do you agree to give governments the access to that information? Do you keep it encrypted because you're, you're trying to serve your customers? And Rem has had to deal with some pretty sticky situations there. They also got some bad press in 2011 during the the riots in London mm-hmm. because it turned out that a lot of the the kids in London have Blackberries and they were using the Blackberry messaging service, which is an encrypted service, to send messages be- between each other to target specific businesses during the riots.
1: Mm-hmm. So it was it was uh, it would have required the cooperation of BlackBerry itself to provide the government. Uh, you know, they couldn't be spied upon. Right. They would have to get BlackBerry to share that information with them. Of course, BlackBerry agreed to cooperate, but that doesn't help again that that for a lot of people that's a PR problem.
0: Yeah, big PR problem. Twenty eleven has been a rough year for Research in Motion. Now some people have already said that this might be the beginning of the end or that perhaps Research in Motion should look at selling off its assets to other companies and just kind of dissolving. So so elements of Blackberry would continue to live on it's just they would go
1: under a different corporate name. People said the same thing about Apple about 20 years ago. Right. So there's so.
0: there's always the chance that that research in motion could turn this around and become a, a a very powerful player in the telecom space again. I mean, there's nothing necessarily stopping them. It's just that the you know the odds are definitely stacking against them but that doesn't mean they can't overcome those odds. So we'll have to watch and see and find out what happens. We'll also have to see if a uh, if they they have a change in leadership because for the last couple of years uh, Rims also received a lot of criticism about having co-CEOs and saying that that kind of sends a mixed message to shareholders and it might be better to have a single person hold the position of CEO to give a unified vision for the company and be able to message that out to everybody, both consumers and retailers, their shareholders, everyone, and, and employees of REM. Well, that wraps up another classic episode of Tech Stuff. I hope you enjoyed this march down memory lane. If you want to learn more about the podcast, including ways to contact us, head on over to techstuffpodcast.com. And don't forget, we have our merchandise store over at tpublic.com slash techstuff where you can get all your tech stuff merch needs. You know, the holidays are right around the corner. Let's get something for someone you love because every purchase goes to help the show and we greatly appreciate it. And I'll talk to you again really soon.
1: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.